Some businessmen have been saying that this might be the greatest Christmas season ever. Funny. I'd always thought the first one was. It is customary every year to give gifts. It's really a joy to give them more than to receive them, isn't it? It's become a wonderful tradition. People do, though, get a bit wrapped up in it, no pun intended. Sometimes we wonder, where did it all begin, the giving of gifts at Christmas time? Well, a long time ago, this is not a fairy tale, in about the 4th century, in Asia Minor, there was a boy who was born to a wealthy family. His name was Nicholas. Nicholas was pampered because his parents had so much wealth, he could have whatever they deemed necessary for the child. But something happened to his parents. The plague was prevalent at that time in that part of the world. And at a very young age, this wealthy child, Nicholas's parents, died of the plague. So there he was, orphaned and all alone with a tremendous amount of money to spend on whatever he wanted. He had the world at his fingertips, but Nicholas had a real encounter with Jesus Christ. God touched his heart, changed his life. And Nicholas, as he grew up, decided to take the wealth that he inherited from his parents and give it away to the neediest people. He gave money, he gave dowries, he gave gifts. And later on, he wanted to go into the ministry. And as Nicholas grew and he studied to be a part of the ministry, to be God's vessel, God's instrument to reach people, he was so well-loved by the people where he was in Myra that they made him the bishop of Myra in the 4th century. He had such a generous spirit that he was known for saving three daughters of a very poor family who almost went into prostitution, but so that they wouldn't have to, so that they would have enough money for a dowry. It is said that Nicholas would toss in bags of money for all three of the daughters to have an honorable marriage. It is even reported that Nicholas would sneak into homes and give gifts to the poor children. The bishop, the minister of God, used by God in a powerful way. In fact, Nicholas attended one of the most famous church councils of history, the Council of Nicaea, and vigorously debated and stood up for the doctrine of the Trinity. One God manifest in three persons. I share that because that is the history of gift-giving. Now, yes, I know that artists have gotten a hold of it and really messed it up, and poets have also played with it and embellished it and made him a jolly fat man with a red nose and 12 reindeer. 
But that's all false. But there was a Nicholas who did give gifts, who was a godly man, and he was used by God. And I share that because Christians sometimes have a tough time with this whole idea of giving gifts and Santa Claus. And I I think it's important to place the focus on the true gift. But I don't think you need to have, well, Santa claustrophobia. In fact, I would challenge you to use what I just told you as an opportunity to share with kids when they see pictures of Santa Claus. And they ask, Mommy, Daddy, did Santa Claus really exist? Is he real? Of course, Christian parents have a tough time with that. Well, what should I say? Yes, he did. There is a Santa Claus. His name was Nicholas. He was a godly young man. And he used his resources to give to others because God changed his life and use that as an opportunity to share his example and to talk about Christmas from the perspective of not gifts, plural, but the gift, singular. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Or as Paul said, thank God for His indescribable gift. I see it as an opportunity. That's where gifts began. The gift of Jesus Christ to the world is probably no better noted than in a private interview that Jesus had with a very religious person. A man named Nicodemus, a man who served his God very fervently, did everything in his power to work to show himself honorable before God. And he came to Jesus at night. He said, you know, Jesus, we know that you are a man come from God. Nobody can do what you do unless God is with him. I love Jesus' answer. Jesus was never moved by flattery. He didn't say, well, yeah, thank you. I, I do prepare very hard and <laughs> hasn't been easy being around this earth. Those miracles are tough. Pull off. He got right to the heart of Nicodemus' empty spot. He said, unless you are born again, Nicodemus, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Cut to the quick. How can a man be born when he is old? Uh, Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nick. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say you must be born again. And then he told Nicodemus how. We all have memorized it, but I'd like to read it to you. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
That's God's gift to the world. That is what I believe the angels meant when they spoke to the shepherds, as we referred to this morning, and they heralded that great phrase. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We hear those words of the angels and we walk away with a little bit of skepticism. Peace? Where is their peace? Angels, have you looked around lately? I've looked around lately. I just got back from the Middle East. A team just got back from Bosnia. Visit the cities of Los Angeles, New York. Our own city. Where is their peace? We echo it every year at this time at Christmas. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And we see people trying to achieve it. Oh, if I can only get that gift. Maybe adults not as much, but as kids, oh, they look forward to tomorrow because they'll have peace when they have those gifts. They think. If I only could have, fill in the blank. Of course, we know it doesn't bring peace. That is so elusive. We know that's true. Peace doesn't come materially. Peace comes from a relationship with God. Have you noticed that our society is so filled with the unnecessary? We think, what gift will I buy that person? And nothing comes to mind, but we think, you know, I'm obligated to buy that person something. And I've always thought, you know, why? If they don't need anything, why get them? You know, tell them I'll be praying for you. Isn't that a wonderful gift? I received a gift today that's the most precious gift ever. It's a journal of people in this fellowship who've made a covenant to pray for me and their names are written every week. These are the people who will be praying for you this year. Hey, you know what? I don't need anything else. But our society is so filled with the unnecessary and things are given to people that they'll never use. They go, oh, thank you. Oh, that's just what I wanted. That picture is so beautiful. I'll hang it up in my closet. (laughs) And it seems that this year's gifts become next year's garage sale items. And so listen again to what the angel said. In the original language, it is better stated. It cannot be improved on. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men in whom God is well pleased. Ooh, that's a different meaning. The people that have peace are the people that have received God's gift that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about. God's indescribable gift. God so loved the world that He gave. You receive that gift you'll have a peaceful Christmas. And it won't matter what you get or don't get tomorrow. You've got it all. Think about that gift. Martin Luther said about John 3.16, it is the Bible in miniature. The entire gospel is wrapped up. And for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. First of all, the origin of our salvation is given for God. You know, God initiated salvation. 
God interrupted your life. Ephesians paints a black picture of your life before Christ, dead in trespasses and sins. You wandered according to the course of this world. But God, who is rich in mercy. The glory of the gospel is that He interrupted whatever you were doing. And God initiated it. We love Him because He first loved us. Ours is a response. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so the origin is God. In the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve sinned, when they sinned, they never ran to God. They ran away from God. Just like the play that Sebastian was talking about and singing about. A runaway. And the first question that God asked Adam after the fall is, Adam, where are you? God was searching for man. Every now and then somebody will come up with this goofy explanation of their life. I'm on a search for God. And I always go, why? (laughs) Well, I'm searching for God. But God isn't lost. (laughs) Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're lost if you don't know Christ. God is searching for you. The origin is of God. For God. The motivation of salvation is also given. So loved. For God so loved the world. It doesn't say, for God was so angry at the world. For God was so ticked off. And that's how many people view God. God is angry with them. God is out to get them. But it says here, for God so loved. And that's the greatest miracle. It is. God loves you. That is miraculous. Because, let's face it, be honest, we're not always so lovable. In fact, I would venture to say it's very rare when we are that lovable. We're not lovable. God loved the unlovely. Remember that great fairy tale of the beautiful princess who kissed the ugly toad? And when the ugly toad was kissed by the beautiful princess, voila, he turns into a handsome prince. Great story. You know, it, it, it really is. It's a great act if you're the toad. But put yourself for just a moment in the shoes of that beautiful princess. What beautiful princess do you know that would stop by the side of the road and go, Oh, look, it's a toad. (laughs) Boy, I'd love to just plant one on that baby. (laughs) Now... For the toad to kiss the princess? No problem. Easy. That princess, wow, look at her. She's gorgeous. She's lovable. But that toad is not. The demonstration, the motivation, God so loved the world. And then it says, that He gave. That's the demonstration. That He gave His only begotten Son. I still quite haven't figured that one out. Why would God give His Son? I'll be honest with you. I would not give my only begotten Son, Nathan. He's the only Son I have. 
He's the only child that my wife and I have produced in our marriage. I would not give him for somebody who hates me and scorns me and mocks me. Forget it. Somebody says, would you give your son to help this person who hates your guts, your enemies live? No. I love my son. I'll protect him. God gave his only begotten son. What a demonstration. I read an article years ago about how they're taking and transplanting the hearts of baboons to save the lives of children. They're transplanting the heart of a baboon into a child. I think that's great. What great technology. What great days we live in. But reverse that. Would you take the heart of a child to save a baboon? No, but God so loved the world that he gave gave his son for us that we might live. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the proclamation of salvation. Now, God is not picky that whosoever believes in him. Whosoever. Whoever wants to. Whoever would say, God, over here, hey, don't forget me, please. Include me in your plan of salvation. God won't say, well, I can't choose you. You you don't have a tuxedo on. You don't sing as well as this worship group does. Don't pray as long as other people do. You know, it's much easier to get into heaven than it is to get into any university. Universities are picky. But it's a lot easier to get into heaven. How? What's the requirement? Believe. Whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now, people have a hard time with that. It's hard to handle. It's hard to handle because we still try to relate to God based on the American work ethic. I want to work. I want to do something so that I can say at the, at the end of my life, I put in a good life's work. I deserve heaven. Laugh of laughs. You deserve heaven? Do you think it's possible that there's anything you could ever do that would make you worthy of heaven? When God asks you on the last day, why should I let you into my heaven? How is that going to sound? You know, I lived a pretty good life, God. I love the way one artist put it. He put it really the best. Listen to this. You don't impress the officials at NASA with a paper airplane. You don't boast about your crayon sketches in the presence of Picasso. You don't claim equality with Einstein just because you can write H2O. And you don't boast about your goodness in the presence of the perfect. You're telling perfect God, I've worked pretty hard, I've been pretty good. Good? As Jesus said, there is none good but God. That's why Nicodemus had a hard time with it. It's hard to handle. Well, what must I do? Believe. Now, a lot of you say, well, I've, I've always believed in God. You know, God and I, just like this, Christmas time. 
Oh, and Easter. The word believe means to cling to, rely on, adhere to, commit to. It does not mean to intellectually assent or acknowledge the existence thereof. The word means a committal. And if you believe, there will be changes. In the New Testament, people who believed in Jesus didn't pass by and go, Believe in you. They followed him. They followed him. They watched what he did. They were changed by his life and by his death. In the Gospel of Matthew, the Christmas story is told. The birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. You will call his name Jesus in Hebrew, Yeshua, which means Jehovah God, Yahweh is salvation. That's his name because his name designates what he would do. Names do matter. It is interesting. I read of a group of psychologists who conducted a survey of 15,000 delinquents who were arrested on various crimes and discovered that those who were given Odd names at birth or embarrassing names were prone to commit crimes four times more than those without. Almost as if they lived up to that odd or embarrassing name. Now Jesus lived up to his name. You will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. Jesus is salvation. There was a guy in the temple, an old man, who saw that baby being brought in to dedicate. And he said, I can die in peace now, Lord, for I have seen your salvation. That's the baby he was speaking about. This is your salvation. I have seen, my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus was fitted to save God and man. That's what's what he was, both God and man. And he could grab a hold of God, and he could grab a hold of humanity, us, and he could bring us together. And he could say, okay, now you are one. This tiny baby, this gift that God gave was wrapped in very simple wrapping. He wasn't adorned with gold, befitting kings. He wasn't born in 
Rome General Hospital or Jerusalem Civic Medical Center, but in a stable. Very common wrapping. A peasant. You know what that means? Anybody can relate to him. If he was born just to the wealthy, aristocratic people, the poor couldn't have related to him. And so it means being born as the poorest of the poor, that everyone must come and can come and can relate, but must be humble enough to do so. Are some of you filled with pride tonight? You say, okay, good, Christmas, happy, jolly, songs, message. I'm getting a little convicted. Stop it. Let's go home. Well, you ought to know the flip side to this peace we're talking about. I've got to tell you that. The Gospel of John goes on to say, when Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And then at the end it says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Gifts are not something you deserve nor earn, but they are something you receive. Would it be an insult if somebody gave you a gift tomorrow and you said, Oh, I can't take that. I don't deserve it. (laughs) I didn't ask you if you deserved it. That's why it's called a gift. Would you be insulted if your kid said, Oh, Mom, Dad, thanks for the bicycle. I'll, I'll work it off. I'll work all year long to pay it off. It's a gift, kid. Relax. be an insult to your love. You don't earn a gift, but you must receive a gift. See, I could hand out a package to you and you could just walk by. And in the fervor of Christmas, as gifts are being exchanged, I believe God has a gift for you tonight. The gift of eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are not talking religion here. We are not talking church. We're not talking clever little ceremonies or nice little words to make people feel good. We are talking spiritual, eternal life or death. God is a gift. You can't earn it, but you must receive it. For as many as received Him, Jesus said, to them God gave the right to become His Son. So God has a gift for you tonight, a Christmas present, life eternal, His Son, a relationship with the living God. Will you accept it? You say, well, hmm, I'll think about it. I'm undecided. Well, to be undecided is to be decided. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. There's an old Jewish proverb, 
that says, whoever walks toward God one step, God will walk toward him twain. And the scripture bears that out. If you draw close to God, God will draw close to you. If you say, God, I want your salvation. I want to know peace in my heart. I want to know forgiveness of sins. I want that Christmas present. He'll move so quickly in on you and surround you with his love and forgiveness. Will you receive it? Father, we celebrate that indescribable gift of everlasting life this evening. A gift that is held out for the whole world because, God, we are told that you loved the world, that you gave this gift of your Son. And it is our prayer that we keep this gift central tonight and tomorrow and the next day and the next, and the next, and on and on. Lord, we pray for those who are in our midst. We believe you have given them to us tonight to share the evening. But we also believe that you are wanting to extend your gift of eternal life to many who have come to this service who have trusted in self or in works or in religion or in things very similar to that and they don't know peace. Their hearts are weary and they are not at rest. And we know because so many of us have taken you at your word and experienced that peace what it's all about. And so we ask that as you have your hand out tonight, extending to them the gift of God, which is everlasting life, that they would receive by an act of faith, by choice, Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord, that they might enjoy your peace this season. As we are in an attitude of reverence and prayer, The invitation goes out for those of you who don't yet personally know Jesus Christ. You may have come with friends. You may have come because you've heard the invitation over the radio or a family member invited you. And so far you've enjoyed the message, but you thought, well, everything was so good, but preacher got a little personal tonight. What's God, I think, just touching your heart, saying, give it up, surrender. Experience what life was meant to be. Experience my peace. If you want to do that tonight, and I mean you're serious about doing business with God and you're ready to repent, to turn around, that's what the word means, and to turn to Him and surrender your life, if you want to do that, I'm asking you right now to stand to your feet. Wherever you're seated in this auditorium, you stand to your feet and I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer as we bring this service to a close. And as you stand up, you're saying, I'm willing to make a stand for Jesus Christ. I'm willing to give my life to Him tonight and receive everlasting life. Wherever you are, you just stand up and we'll acknowledge you and pray for you. Anywhere you are in this auditorium, God bless you in the back. Anyone else? Stand up. I'm asking you to do it publicly. God bless you.
Jesus died for every one of you publicly and He asked you to confess Him publicly. You're surrounded by friends. There's no better place to do it than now. 